Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Campionato. I am delighted this week in the absence of usual Serie A football to be speaking to Jonathan Grade, author of Golazzo, the Football Italia Years. Really, really interesting book. I would recommend that all of you head over and, and buy that now, actually. But Jonathan will give us a little bit of insight of what it was like to work on that. Well, what was such an iconic television program that most people developed a love that is lasting to this day of Italian football from. And, of course, most importantly, what it was like to work with James Richardson. Enjoy. <laughs> Jonathan, um, it, it's been quite a, a long time in the works, this this interview, but we finally got you here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and speak to us. Thank you for having me on, Connie. Yeah, it's um, it's really nice to come and talk about the book and the memories and Italian football back then. And it's certainly hopeful bring back uh, more than a, a few memories for your listeners. Yeah, uh, for, for a lot of the listeners, I, I think this is going to be a beautiful dose of of nostalgia directed directly into the bloodstream as as people like to talk about now but i'm of a generation where the the show football italia kind of passed me by in that i was born in 93 so this was very much ongoing when i wasn't watching football very closely you know i was more out in the streets and i think for a lot of our listeners it's something that everyone's aware of but not everyone has seen it in in its heyday, you know? So could you, before we get into talking about the book and some of the finer details, just explain what was this program and, and what made it so special? Um, well, I think um, obviously we had the two main shows, Gazetta and the Football Italia live games. And I think from a live game perspective, we were bringing... Um, 
the best league in the world into people's living rooms. No one had really seen any European football live on TV, let alone um, terrestrial TV. And it was just back then, the league was just a complete another level to any other league in the world. You just, any game you put on, you like huge crowds, the the scenes in the crowd, the colour, the smoke, the flares, it was just every week. It it was like a massive show the Italian fans would put on every week. It, was, it wasn't just going to the game, watching the football. They wanted to create a real show to, to illustrate their pride in their in their league and all these great players that were in it. So I think this being on on mainstream TV brought a whole new fascination and interest in Italian football because it all happened two years after Italian 90, which brought back great memories for England fans. And I think all these new stadia, these that have sprung up, you know, it was just an amazing time. And I think Gazetta was a sort of... Um, a way that every football fan would be going to a game at the weekend. Would just it was ten o'clock, set the alarm, Gazetta, and then it was that was the start of the footballing weekend. And with no other live football on on mainstream TV, Sky had just started the Premier League coverage at the same time. I think um, I think it just created this. It, it 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 did have a cult audience, and the fact here we are, sort of nearly thirty years on, we're at the book, still talking about the show. The show is it. it not just how popular it was, but how iconic it was. It was an iconic time in Italian football, and it was an iconic time for football fans in this country because this was brought to them every week. You were saying that it came at a time when European football wasn't something that existed on on television in the UK and definitely not in Ireland. Do you think that this almost opened people's eyes not only to the fact that there was good football elsewhere, but how different football could be like you said about the football in Italy is a bit more of an event with everything that goes on in the stadiums do you think that helped you sell it without having to really sell it that much I actually do you know what it's quite interesting because I don't think people were aware of what the league was like before they saw it because we'd seen Italian 90 but you weren't really seeing Mm. you were seeing countries playing these different stadiums and they were you know, these incredible arenas that have been built in, you know, the San Siro, all over the country, the Olympic Stadium in Rome, even the San Nicola in Bari, where England played Italy. It was just these incredible, even these these clubs that weren't that prominent at the top had these huge stadiums. And I think it's just, when I talk to people about going to an Italian football game, I think over here, you the whole big thing is about the teams coming out and the big roar when the teams come onto the field. In it, if you go to a game in Italy, when the teams come out, it's there is no particular noise. Mm. All the atmosphere is in all the build up, all the singing, all the chanting, all the colour. It's when the teams come out, it's just it carries on. There's not some big roar like there is in this country. It's very different. And it, when I went to my first game in Italy, I was listening to fans, it was just all of a sudden I saw the teams were out. It wasn't as if, you know, like yeah. having watched football in this country, it's so different. Um, and it just it's just this build-up to the match, this whole anticipation and then the teams being announced, all the cheering, the shouting. It was just another level, you know, the, the fireworks and the flags and the scarves and just the sheer colour and the, and the um, choreography. I mean, having... I think that was, for me... 
the Rome derby and the choreography and that yeah. is just it's so dramatic when you have one one end of the stadium all red and one end the light blue and it's the color is phenomenal yeah it really is my my personal favorite derby is probably the derby della lanterna obviously in in genova i remember going to this and i took my dad along who had been to the Marassi before during mm. Italia 90 following Ireland around. And we went there and I, I put up a photo from 90 minutes before kickoff. Both curvas yeah. were full. And I said, oh, ready for the derby. Just I think it was on Facebook or Instagram or something. And people responded saying, this is a derby. Why is the stadium half empty? And I said, the game doesn't kick off for another half hour, or hour and a half. And people thought, oh, my God. This is this is an hour and a half before kickoff, and yeah. like you say, the atmosphere was yeah. already electric by then. But yeah. I do have to ask, why did you choose to write this book now? As you said, thirty years almost after this all started. Well, the thing about it was that um, we've lost a fair few people from the production. Our director Tom Doherty, who I had very close relationship with you know we worked together we we had we went to football and all sorts of things we had a great time he passed away ray wilkins passed away and then um peter brackley passed away and i went to his funeral and it was obviously so many people from football broadcasting there and it was obviously very somber but very very moving um um service and as i was leaving there i thought you know what it never got signed off really this this contract this these 10 years on channel 4 and it was never sort of it was never I and mean, there was the one on bt but it was it looked at certain areas not the whole picture in my in my opinion and i um i thought well no one's has anyone written a book about it and i thought i, I didn't see how i'd ever write but i never saw myself writing a book ever and then i thought you know what i could just sort of look back through it all and my memory of it is so good and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to write it and and came up with a plan for it. And I, I thought, you know, for all the people that that love the show, not just some of the things from behind the scenes, but also the memories, it, it, it brings back so many memories of, of that time. I mean, that famous um, derby of Italy, Juventus and Inter, when the Ronaldo <laughs> penalty and then the other end. I mean, that was just... When that happened, and there were all these suspicions about Juventus and referees, the following week on the show, it was just something else. I mean, literally, there were punch-ups in Parliament the next mm. day between Juventus and Inter. It, it, it was a whole new level of passion, uh, football passion over there than what I'd seen in this country. I mean, you know, people, you know, work fighting and, you know, it's just madness. And... All goes to a penalty decision, and yeah. in the general scheme of things, not really that that important. But um, <laughs> it, it's everything to people, you know. Football is everything in Italy, mm-hmm. um, and um, that was a, certainly a, one of the most dramatic afternoons we had. I think that's probably one of the most dramatic incidents in in the history of Italian football. That yeah. like what was it, a thirty second, one minute window? It was fifth. I think it was fifteen seconds. I, <laughs> I looked at it and I timed it. And I, yeah, that's what I said. I said it was um, possibly the most controversial 15 seconds. Because yeah. when Del Piero went over at the other end, I was praying, please do not give it. Please <laughs> do not give it. And he did. And oh my goodness. It literally, um, I'll just tell you a bit of the context of that actually. Yeah, yeah. Because um, 
that season was was Ronaldo's first, the Ronaldo number one. Um, I'll call him the original Ronaldo because he was. Um, I won't say better, but he was in his peak. At his peak, he was. I mean, he he was lightning quick. He was so strong, big guy, so strong, but could finish. Could he could do everything? There's a reason Literally his nickname is the phenomenon, right? Yeah, he could do everything. Anyway. So he just joined Inter and he was having an amazing first season. And then obviously it was the events on the other side and they were going neck and neck for like pretty much the entire season. And there were um, a few controversial moments along the way, as you <laughs> you can imagine. Um, there was one game early on in the season, Juventus played Udinese and um, Udinese had a goal that was about two feet over the line, not given, obviously. No VAR. And that was at 0-0 and Juventus won 4-1. There was a game um, when Juve were playing Lazio later on in the season, which was a huge game because Lazio was still in it at that point. And there was a handball late on against Juliano, which wasn't given in the penalty area. There was an empty goal against Juventus, which should have um, been given. Juventus won 1-0 and it crossed the line. I mean, clearly crossed the line. It wasn't given. So there was a real feeling with Inter that Juve were being benefited from, you know, Moji and the like. You know, the, the suspicions were there long yeah. before Calciopoli. And then obviously this incident in the, it was um, four four weeks from the end of the season. And I think Juventus were a point clear at the top. And there was this big head-to-head. And, and when this happened, you know, it was like all Inter's, suspicions and frustrations blew up in, in one moment it was just it was staggering absolutely staggering yeah no it, and it, it i don't think that comes as much of a surprise for anyone even who's not familiar with that specific incident but is familiar with italian football or even italian culture because juve feed into italian culture and they exist in italian culture beyond football so mm-hmm. if you meet someone and and you ask them about football and they say oh like you know, I don't like football, but I don't like Juventus. <laughs> you just say, okay. You know what, though? It, it's sad in a way because that that um, incident sort of is what's remembered that season. Mm. And they had, a, I mean, they were uh, that side with Del Pieri and Zaghi, Zidane. I mean, that was a seriously yeah. good team. And they got to the Champions League final two years running and lost them both. But they, they didn't need these favours from referees because they were that good and and that that I think that was the whole point in that they didn't need the help or whatever it was, but um, they were it, it, it shouldn't really have detracted as it, as it much as it did from yeah. that side because it was phenomenal side that Conte and Edgar Davids and Peruzzi, Chiro Ferrara he, everywhere in that side was strong, and it was just a, it was just a shame that season was remembered for that that instant in particular it, it doesn't matter how good you are they they will always have the those detractors who will always put an asterisk yeah. next to everything yeah, absolutely. absolutely um and i think that's only been amplified <laughs> since calciopoli and everything that happened in the yeah. noughties but what about football italia and and that as it was what was it like to work on what was such an iconic and important part of everybody's week Oh, um, well, do you know, it was just, I mean, I've written a book, How It All Came About, and it was just, 
it, I, I lucked out massively getting that was my first proper job in TV because I didn't have the experience. I'd helped out a couple of summers on work experience, and it was, um, you know, it was, as a football fan, it was it was a dream to work on something like that because it was phenomenal football and it was working telly and it was like my first job and it was just being being paid to go to work and watch football was <laughs> it was, seemed like quite quite a good deal but obviously when I started the money was really not good at all but it was sort of a really good career progression and I I loved I I was the really ironic thing about all of this is that when I started I really didn't like Italian football you know that it was before Premier League started, it was all every decent English player would be out to Italy with all the, you know, they had all the money, you know, it was, it was, they were the richest clubs in the world and they were just, any good English talent would just be shipped off to Italy. And I, I sort of, as a big football fan, I sort of was quite resentful of that in a way because, you know, all these talent I wanted to see in, in England play every week. So anyway. I started working on the show and then as it went on and on and on, and I got so mad about Italian football and I still watch games every weekend and follow everything because once it's with you, you know, it's not something you can sort of go away from because it it, it had a life um, a life changing effect on me because of everything about it and just the, the whole passion about it. It's it's just until all I would say to them is if you haven't been to a game in Italy you have to go to a big game because there is literally nothing like it. It is just the the levels of passion are, are more than you'll get over here. It's just astonishing. Yeah, it really is. It doesn't compare. It it doesn't, doesn't compare. You mentioned there about players, all the top players, kind of being shipped off to Italy, and I think the most iconic of all of them is is Paul Gascoigne, who himself had a part to play in the in the television side of yeah. things, but. In chapter four, I believe it is, you you look at some of the Italian or the, the English players who went abroad to Serie A. Mm. Do you think that those players and Gascoigne in particular helped to get more eyes onto things? Yeah, I think, I think to be honest, the show wouldn't have happened without Gazza going there. It, it was just the perfect, you know, perfect time. You know, Premier League had just started. Gazza had gone to Italy it enabled people to see great live football and he was he was the, the the golden boy of english football back then he was you know his performances in italian 90 the the tears when he got that booking against mm. germany and he was he was the whole he the england team was built all around him he was like the star so he went to Lazio and this transfer, which I don't know whether you know, it happened a year later than it should yeah. have done because he got that awful injury. Um, and he just, you know, it was just, it, we were with Gazza every week pretty much while he was there. And he didn't, the thing about Gazza was that he didn't take himself seriously at all. Um, nowadays, when you're talking about players and what they like off the field, it's all about social media and they want to be, they don't want to be seen as someone they're not. Because any and they do anything, the clips on Twitter or Instagram, anywhere within seconds. So back then we didn't we didn't have that issue. So you know there were there were numerous times when Gazza would just um, be more than happy to take the Mickey out of himself. You know about 
they were all saying come back overweight from the summer so he'd there was one link we did with him eating mars bars in the dark in an opening link we had him eating out a chocolate easter egg um then we had we had <laughs> one of our producers was was out of vision and passing all his food down to him and he was like um passed him like bread and chips and ice cream he's like how can you not love ice cream how can you not love chips all his food was coming down it was it was typical paul because he never took himself too seriously he was always up for a laugh he just he didn't fit he, he didn't felt like he'd be um he'd have a problem sort of um you know take mickey out of himself yeah. a bit because he was just a fun guy he was just he was what you saw with gaz was what you got he wasn't anything he, he wasn't he just was fun a real lot he had a great um on-screen relationship with james and it just sort of worked really well and he was just that was what he was he wasn't trying to be someone else and he was and i think the viewers were well aware of that when you talk about other players um obviously we had david platt and paul Ince out there i'll sort of gloss over des walker because that didn't go as well as it might have done um david platt was obviously the complete opposite to gaza he was much more introverted you know he was he was not suspicious of the media but he he didn't like doing work with the media you could tell it, it wasn't something he was comfortable with anyway so i don't know whether you've seen the footage we did a link with get with um david platt outside yeah. his house with the um with the arnold schwarzenegger and the cigar you've seen that yeah it's brilliant i was gonna uh, ask you uh, about but, this but getting that was the thing about james he could get players to go outside their comfort zone and do mad stuff like that like david platner in a bandana and a cigar grabbing james by the neck saying i'll be back i mean it's just madness and just the fact that he could get these people who were he platty wasn't sort of guy who just like go out and do things for a laugh he was just very interesting he was just he was literally all he wanted to do was work hard real real valuable member for that Sampdoria side that Sampdoria side and he you know he was his Italian was really good he just he was he was basically he just wanted to integrate as much as he could with the Italians and it was all about taking it really seriously complete contrast to Gaza and then you had Paul Ince who was um oh god James had him dressed up in a chicken suit and all sorts and um he he just um he was he had a great on-screen relationship with james again i mean he 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 really enjoyed his time in italy he he was only there a couple of years but he was um you know he'd go on the when he was suspended he went on the curva nord with the inter fans you know he wanted he wanted fans to be to be aware he was one of them he and the inter fans loved him you know they they just treated him as if he'd been there years he he just he connected with the fans brilliantly and i would say he was equally successful as david platt out there because he he just um he was just a real hard-working player but talented and he just wanted he just was was just very much um a fan's favorite because he just was a real battler and a fighter in that side and he wanted to be with the fans he just he just ticked all the boxes for for the um for the inter fans that does tick a lot of boxes. If you show a, a desire to acknowledge and then integrate with the supporters over there, it goes a long way. But you mentioned Platt Ince, and there was that. My personal favorite take was with um, Atilio Lombardo 
where oh yeah he and Lambada. it's how how on earth have you managed I, to get something that the footballers buy into to the extent that they are just dancing crazy i mean if that was now and lombardo was the player he was then now he wouldn't be having no. videos of him doing the lambada with the sound guys and the cameraman and james i mean they footballers now is their agents wouldn't let them it's all about their image and clowning around dancing to the lambada would just it's just not the football's changed so much in that it's all about the agents controlling what these players are allowed to do and image and social media and it, it was just enough back then you you did something like that and you see it on the show you know it wouldn't go nothing else would happen i mean people would talk about it but now you <laughs> take a video even off the telly and it's on on twitter in minutes and it's just it was a different time, but it was that was the kind of thing James could get them to do because Lombardo spoke no English back then, and he was James thought it'd be hilarious getting Lombardo to do the Lombardo, and it was hilarious, and it was just at the training ground, and it was and getting all the all the crew to do it, and it was just then we they'd obviously do it, and then we'd add the music, and it was just it was hilarious. I mean, that was what that was why people loved the show though because it was. They'd see great football, but it was hilarious. I mean, it was just a very... It, the comedy aspect was what... James brought a lot of that into it, his scripts and his ideas. And obviously he knew all about the football, but he managed to integrate the football and the entertaining side of it brilliantly. And it all... It was like a really good mix of, of everything. And that's what made the show what it was. Yeah, he's... A, a phenomenal presenter and just he, he, everything he does is is pretty much gold. Do you think that he played a big part in, in the success of this show? Because personally, I can't imagine anybody else doing what he did then. Yeah, I mean, he he was um, he ticked a lot of boxes for for the clubs as well because you know he spoke fluent Italian he was charming he you know he we weren't this perceived threat from these clubs if we're saying come into with Viali it's it was um how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You know, an English, English presenter going to the club, fluent Italian, they weren't worried because it wasn't going out in Italy. You know, the players would be comfortable so it would be in Italian. It would go out on foreign TV. And from their perspective, it was, you know, it's fine because they're not, it's not going to reflect badly on them as a club or their player because it's not going to be seen in Italy. And it's going to, um, you know, it's um, everyone's relaxed because it's in Italian and they're not, there's nothing that's going to be thrown in there that's going to throw everyone off off balance at all because it, it was, we just went to an interview with Viali in Italian and that was it. We'd show it in England and... Um, you know, players were relaxed, club was relaxed, they all knew what was going on. It's strange for me to to hear that because I completely believe it and I completely agree with it, but just how differently things are now in Italy. So if uh, foreign media try to get interviews, it can be quite difficult. But it seems now that, or back then rather, that there was almost benefits, like you say, from being not Italian media. They were just willing to let you do basically whatever you wanted. I know. Um, I'll tell you a story, actually. Um, so we once did um, interview with Roberto Baggio. It was one of those things. We didn't have anything lined up in the show majorly that week. Cause we liked. We had a feature every week. That's an Atalanta mug, isn't it? Mm. It is, yeah. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Named after a Greek goddess I discovered when working on the show. Yes, yes. A, a goddess who lures people in with her beauty and then well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... um, no, um, I was going to say, yeah, so we, some weeks it was impossible to get um, big names to an interview. Sometimes we went to a club and we, you know, we we um, we did a feature on the team and grabbed two or three players and did interviews with them. But this week we didn't have much to put in the show. It might even have been an, an international week so mm-hmm. that when it was international week, we sometimes did Serie B stuff. But we didn't have, obviously, because the players were away, didn't really have much, couldn't get much feature-wise. So we, um, so I think James was filming outside um, the Italian training camp, wherever they were. And you can imagine now, we, we want to speak to Roberto Baggio. So you can imagine now if it's Messi or Ronaldo <laughs> coming out there. It's like 57 agents, 75 members of the football club surrounding him, mm. shepherding back to wherever he needs to go. So back then it wasn't the case. You had World Footballer of the Year, Roberto Baggio, coming out of the training ground, walks out, walks to his car, James intercepts him, gets like four or five minute interview with the World Player of the Year. And not only that, gets him to do some random link in a dimly lit car park, um, pretending he knows 
Roberto Badger saying, oh, James, nice to see you. What are you doing here? So it was just, but this is what he got at people. He, he managed not only to get like, he wanted to say, oh, just a couple of questions, whatever. Mm. He managed to get a decent length interview, which we could build a feature around. And then just just managed to get Roberto Baggio, the, the best player in the world, to do a little funny opening. I mean, can you imagine Ronaldo or Messi now trying to, I mean, not a cat in hell's chance. I mean, it's just, that's what it was like. Roberto Baggio coming out of the building, trotting over to his car. James was there with the crew, and then they just got to work. And it was just, it was so different. I mean, that you had much more scope to do what you wanted. Um, because it wasn't the whole big, um, you know, scrum that it is today to get interviews with these stars. Never mind trying to get Cristiano Ronaldo or, or Messi to do that. You, you wouldn't be able to get um, an, a bang average midfielder at Bologna to do that now, you know? Even yeah, know. Players that nobody really cares about wouldn't do it. I know, it. I know. It is unbelievable. I, I remember hearing, um, I believe it was Sid Lowe talking about when he first moved to Madrid as well and he used to be able to just go to the bar where the players had their breakfast before training every morning and he was able to familiarize himself with the players and speak to them at their cars and stuff and now obviously all of that is just completely alien because even the car parks are behind closed gates and it's just a different world no i know i know but, I don't know how we would have done it now, how we would possibly have done the show with COVID, you know. Yeah. They wouldn't let anyone near the club. So it would have been, um, that would have been interesting. But um, yeah. Do you think it time. is something that was a product of its time and it wouldn't be possible to do now, not only because access is so much more difficult, but because then it was almost an insight into a world that people weren't that familiar with you you had james sitting in a i don't know piazza san marco in, in venezia or something like this whereas now people have seen this on instagram a hundred thousand times before but back then they're looking at this beautiful thing with a with a quirky guy presenting to them and everything's do you, know, do you know what um it's really i, I want to talk to you about this actually because um we the some of the features we did uh the whole when we did the show on gazetta we it wasn't just about you know, having James in um, Piazza del Duomo in Milan or wherever, we we tried as much as we could to get to show the viewers um, as much as we could of, of Italy as a country because we, you know, back, you know, there's dark winter days here, dark at four o'clock, um, grey and raining for about three months nonstop. <laughs> you just want she wanted to give something colourful to, to the viewers. And so just a few things I noted down, actually, things we did. Um, we got Lorenzo Minotti, you may recall, at Palmer, who was their captain back then. Um, we got, we did, um, he did a guided tour of Palmer with James. So they walked around the town and um, it was just, um, it was almost like it was a travel guide. <laughs> it was just like, it was brilliant. He was showing, he was showing them all the main streets and it was just a bit, you know, so, you know, would, would your average viewers know what, what Palmer was like? And so we, you know, obviously famous for many things, mm. but, um, you know, not, um, no one had seen it. We had James in the Alps doing some links in, in, in the snow. We had James on boats in Venice going around and, we did a whole feature when they came up to Syria with Verona as well. 
we filmed Toto Scalacci. He had a soccer school in Palermo, so we went down to Sicily. Paul Ince was by Lake Como, so we, you know, we filmed a lot around there. We had James when we were in Florence did links on the Ponte Vecchio, you know, mm. and just to get a, a fit people who hadn't seen Florence. And then also we we for some reason we interviewed Yuri Jorkaev in Sardinia. I'm, I can only imagine France. There must be something going on with France playing right. Italy in Sardinia. He was in Sardinia for something, <laughs> and we we went to Sardinia and interviewed him. Um, and you know, like, um, and also went right down to Puglia. You know, we went. Bari, Lecce and Foggia were all sort of in Syria for some time back then. And we just we just tried to show areas of the country that your average viewer would not know about, you know. And it was just, we went to Naples. We just, we tried to bring as much culture into, obviously the fans wanted to talk about football, etc. But just have, where James was shooting links or whatever, just to have... Um, you know, Vesuvius in the background or on a boat in Venice. And it was just, and then illustrating the fact that Venice, um, the Venezia Stadium was called the Pierluigi Penzo Stadium. And it's, you can only get there by boat, mm. you know. So <laughs> the whole concept of fans getting to a match on boat is just ridiculous. But that's what it was. And it's just, it's just trying to show people what what there was in the country and what um it wasn't just about being in milan or rome every week it was we went everywhere i mean literally everywhere it was just um it was just nice to bring that to viewers so that it wasn't just you know we're in italy we're in milan this week blah, 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 blah. but we can also show you places you might not have seen yeah and i definitely think that came across like if you speak to anyone about it now or if I speak to someone who's a little bit older than me and I say what I do, they immediately refer to this TV program. It, it is <laughs> iconic even now, but even now, I can't imagine it was always smooth sailing, knowing Italy and knowing how things go wrong there. So what was the biggest complication or the biggest hiccup, the biggest challenge that you guys faced with this? It's interesting that you use the word hiccup singular, not plural, because there <laughs> were more than a few over the years. Um, I'll just start it by sort of um, saying that our show was the first of its kind to have our commentators not at the stadium. That was a whole new concept to always have commentators being at the stadium. And, and we were sort of the first show. Peter Brackley was in the basement at Channel 4 in London. So that that created some complications on some occasions, which is why it was so good having James in the stadium. Because, as you may or may not be aware, Italian football coverage can vary in quality from week to week. Um, so basically, we had um, one game where the referee had made a decision. We were at Sampdoria one week, and Peter Brackley was looking, talking over the replay and whatever. And then when we came off the replay, suddenly a penalty had been given. <laughs> and you couldn't tell. You you had no idea of knowing that that had happened before you saw the replay. So that was a problem. That got better in, in years as we went through because we had James saying, it's a penalty, it's not been given, whatever. Um, 1994, Milan against Palmer. Mm. 
you know, it's a wet day at the San Siro, you know, usually we're on air, nothing untoward going on. And then about 35 minutes in, the feed switches to Fiorentina against Bari. So we, Peter Brackley is commentating on Milan, and then all of a sudden we're doing Fiorentina Bari. And it was, um, you know, what's going on? Someone call Italy. What the hell? We are. We are supposed to be at the San Siro. That happened one week. God knows how. Um, someone obviously flicked a switch. Um, this is before also, Wikipedia as well. So the commentator can't just pull up a Wikipedia page and refer to the shirt numbers. That's incredible. I know. I know. Palmer against Juventus one year. Um, obviously, we had a camera on James in the stadium. Um, but sometimes the feed would go down. So meaning that if we had loss of coverage... We had to quickly get the camera we were using for James for match coverage. <laughs> so we were, it was a big game. I think it was Palmer, Juventus, and, and it was 2-1 or something. And then within literally two minutes of this happening, Inzaghi equalised. Mm. So we're like filming this game with one camera. So obviously there's there's no replays or anything. We're, we're filming it. Inzaghi scores, just following him back to the halfway line. And it was pretty glaringly obvious this was not, the coverage we should have been offering but things like that happened um obviously we had the whole drama one afternoon with the storm in perugia when juventus were supposed to be winning the league and then there was a biblical storm at half time and second half got delayed by an hour and a quarter you know standard stuff and then i think about gazetta i was just thinking about gazetta and how things we were things through us every now and then um if we wanted an interview with anyone, Roberto Mancini, whoever, we'd be saying no. Press officer, no interview this week. Mentioned no, not happening. Mm. Ring again and went no, no interview this week. No interview this week. And we get our all James's rushes fed down the line to us about ten o'clock on a Thursday night. So we, we edited Gazetta on a Friday, and we sometimes get a call up. I don't know, ten o'clock on Thursday. Oh, Roberto Mancini can do three o'clock today. <laughs> And obviously, it's Roberto Mancini. It's like, oh, my God. James is in Rome. We've got to get up to Genoa. Um, and so it would just be something like that. Or even when we were editing Gazette at 7 o'clock on a Friday night, someone would get sacked. So we had to, <laughs> to wheel in Gary Bloom or something mm. to, to put a voiceover line on the game or something. It was just things could happen. Obviously, it's the nature of the beast. Things could happen at any given moment. So it was just... Um, you know, we were at the mercy of many things from week to week, but um, it was always, um, there was always a backup plan. Yeah, you, you've got to be prepared, particularly when Italy is involved. Jonathan, just before I let you go, um, give people a quick rundown on, on the book itself and yeah. where can they buy it. I will link to it as well on the website. Oh, brilliant. Thanks. Um, so basically, it's um, Golazzo, the Football Italia Years. It's on Amazon and it's available on Kindle. In the Kindle store, um, and it, yeah, it's you know, it's it's sort of some stories from behind the scenes. It's a chronological look back at '92 to 2002, our our decade of coverage, and so many memories and so many things people will have forgotten about that they they'll remember on reading the book. And it, it's for an 
anyone that grew up with football Italia, it's really is a must read, even though I say so myself, because it it will bring back so many memories. And um, yeah, so it's available for nine ninety nine on Amazon and seven ninety nine Kindle store. Definitely worth every penny, even even if like me, you're a little bit young to remember it firsthand. It's a really enjoyable read. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time and best of luck with everything. Thank you. Thanks, Colin. Cheers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 